Well, good evening. How's everyone tonight? Listen, we, um, we had a phenomenal night last night um, in the presence of God and in the Word of God. Um, this is a, a topic that my wife is just passionate about. Her and um, her best friend Jennifer Fiok is with us tonight all the way from Mil- Milwaukee. Is that how you say it in the Indian language? Milwaukee? Yeah. Um, so um, we are so thrilled to have both of them, um, this Power Pack team this week, um, teaching on the subject of prayer. Um, there were things that I have heard my wife say, and we have talked about them for years, and last night she said it again, and there were just some things that, um, that really, ch- they challenged me as a Christian, as, as a person who prays. Um, and let me just say this, um, we, used to, we used to go to a Bible school down in Tulsa with a, uh, a gentleman, a, a wonderful gentleman by the name of um, Brother Kenneth E. Hagan. And um, Kenneth Hagan was, um, he was a no must, no fuss, let's teach faith. And there were a lot of services, and we were talking about this last night, that we would go into in a lot of his class teachings, and it would be this, he, he could preach the same three scriptures, word for word, in, all, in three different classes or three different services, and you would get something out of it different every time. And that's the Word of God. The Word of God is a, is a changing, it's a living thing. And as tonight, you, you, may, you may hear some of these scriptures that are going to be uh, spoken tonight, and you may say, oh, I've heard this before. Trust me, you haven't. The Word of God is living, and it's breathing, it's moving, it's constantly changing and, and I'm telling you, it's going to affect change tonight. It's going to encourage you. It's going... What? Did I say, did I say something wrong? The word's not changing. I'm sorry. It's, it's living. It's a living thing. It's affecting change. That's what I meant to say. It's affecting change. My theological wife, she loves to correct me at every turn. Um, yes, she does. But um, anyway... Yes. You know, the Bible says that he who finds a wife finds a good thing. It is true. I have found such a good thing. She keeps me in check, and um, she, keeps me, uh, she keeps me moving in the right direction. But tonight, we, we want to give you an opportunity to uh, worship the Lord with your, with your giving tonight. Um, we're, we're taking up an offering. Um, because there are special meetings, there are extra um, expenses, and so we want to give you an opportunity to give tonight. If you're making out a check, you can simply make it out to VCC. Um, we are high-tech here at the Warren campus, and you can text to give. Um, I believe the number is on the screen, maybe. No? I don't know. I, I just work here. But I believe the number is area code 330-536-7054. Uh, so if you want to text to give tonight, how did I remember that? I can't even remember my kids' birthdays. But, oh, my kids are in here tonight. No. I remember your birthday. I was there for every one of them. Um, and I think I hurt more than your mom did, honestly. I went, <laughs> I was exhausted. I was exhausted by the end of those labors. Truly exhausted from hearing her scream. No, no, no. If you'd like to text it, I know, I love you. They love you. <laughs> it's up on the screen. No, it's not up on the screen. Never mind. Ushers, why don't you come at this time? Um, we want to, uh, to give you an opportunity to uh, have an envelope if, you're, if you need one for your giving tonight. The, the ushers have those, and they can pass those out as well. 
But uh, just a reminder, tomorrow there are two sessions on Saturday tomorrow. Um, the first session is at 10 o'clock. The second session is at uh, 2 o'clock. Tomorrow morning, Jennifer Fialk will be teaching at 10. Correct? I see you talking. I just want to make sure I'm doing it right. Okay, give me the thumbs up. All right. I'm telling you guys. Um, so, and then at 2 o'clock, the session will be, a, um, they'll be tabled. They'll be sitting at the table taking questions, and, and we're going to just table them. Seriously, they're tabled. When these two get together, they just giggle and they laugh, and I feel like I'm always on the outside of the joke, so that's why I have to keep looking. Yes, I know. I need another friend. I need, we, somebody be my friend. Alex, will you be my friend? Okay, Alex and Mookie, and yes, Devin and Robert, you'll be my friend. So um, let's pray over the offering tonight. Father, we just thank you for your faithfulness. We thank you that your word is true, and it says it's the measure with which we give that you're more concerned about. It's our heart. And so, Father, tonight we worship you. We honor you with our giving. We thank you, Father, that it's not even ours to begin with. It's yours. We thank you that we just give it back to you and we honor you with it. And we thank you, Lord, that as, as um, the, your faithful people give tonight, Lord, that you would just bless them, that you would just um, show yourself faithful on their behalf. In the precious name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Amen. God bless you as you give. Pastor Tony, come at this time. Isn't he cute? No, this is my best friend, Jennifer. Some of you met her last night. Some of you haven't met her yet. But she has been my prayer partner, my prayer buddy, my giggle buddy, my partner in crime, my confidant for 20 years now. And um, I always thought we would minister together somewhere. I just didn't think it would take 18 years for it to happen. But you're going to be so blessed when she talks tomorrow about praying into the future, prophetic praying, praying over your life. She, we were just talking back and forth today about some of the stuff that she's going to share, and it is powerful. So you don't want to miss tomorrow morning. Um, her sons are with her, Robert and Devin, here on the front row, and they're just keep sacrificing three days of their vacation to let their mama come be with me. So I know it's been rough hanging out at the pool. It's been a big sacrifice, but thank you for making that happen. <laughs> but um, we are excited to be talking about prayer. It is probably one of my favorite, favorite subjects in the Word. And um, I just have a passion for it, especially with what's going on in our nation. I have a passion for what we're going to be talking on tonight. We're we'll talking on praying for governments, praying for our leaders, praying for the elections, what that looks like, doing all those things in these end days. And um, last night we talked about spirit-fed prayer and kind of the importance of abiding and how that's the foundation of our prayer life. If you weren't here, I believe it's on the website. They're getting it on the app. You can go back and listen to that if you want to. But um, we made a a statement that we'll probably make a lot is that... um, we, we don't want to pray until there's confidence. That faith is the foundation of any prayer. Faith pleases God. God responds to faith. The Bible says that if you doubt, if you waver, don't expect to receive anything of the Lord. Faith is just kind of the bottom line of it all. And so we don't want to pray until there's confidence. And until there's confidence, we need to pray. And we talked last night about the difference between praying for things and praying to abide in him, the hidden side of prayer, that side that nobody sees but is the foundation of a successful prayer life. And so we're going to talk tonight about and kind of build on that 
in praying for our government and praying for our leaders. And we want to, of course, open to, we can't talk about this without opening to 1 Timothy. <laughs> and I think I could quote it, but I'm going to go there. And I'm going to be back and forth with my glasses because my 20-year-old eyes are gone. And they are coming back, I believe. In Jesus' name, I'm going to have 20-year-old eyes and not need these crazy glasses. But um, 1 Timothy 2 says, I urge you, first of all, to pray for all people, ask God to help them, intercede on their behalf, and give thanks for them. Pray this way for kings and all who are in authority so that we can live peaceful and quiet lives marked by godliness and dignity. This is good and pleases God our Savior who wants everyone to be saved and to understand the truth. And so he says, first of all, pray for kings and for all who are in authority. And we've said this before. It doesn't say, first of all, debate. First of all, reason. First of all, you better hop onto social media and tell the world what you think about the leaders and all who are in authority. He said, first of all, pray for our leaders and all who are in authority. And I find it very interesting because the leader that he is specifically sitting under when he's writing these things, when he writes to submit to the governing authorities, when Peter writes, you need to fear God and honor the king, the king that was standing at that time was Nero. And if you know anything about Nero, he was one of the most wicked, cruel rulers towards Christians. He had him tarred and feathered. He had them covered in the hides of dead animals and thrown to the, to the lions and to the different wild animals to tear them apart limb by limb while stadiums full of people just watched. He would just drench them and hang them in his garden, lit on fire, and use them as torches. And yet Paul and Peter both say, honor this king. Submit to this king. Pray for this king so that we can live quiet and peaceable lives in all godliness and honesty. And really, it's not just all about our comfort. He didn't end there. He didn't say pray so that you can live a quiet and peaceful life. He said pray so that all men can be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. If we end any kind of prayer or any kind of anything just for our comfort, we've stopped too soon. And so when we pray, we're going to just kind of wind through this path tonight, and then we're going to bring it all to a head, and we're going to spend some time praying for our leaders tonight, but we need to get a little bit different perspective on it. And we're going to go to Daniel chapter 2, and I believe this is how Peter and Paul could, with such faith and integrity, say, honor this king, honor Nero, pray for this man. And this, Daniel chapter 2 is when um, they were going to kill all the magicians and the wise men. And I find it interesting that Daniel's like the head of the magician and the wise men. <laughs> he, was, he was a magician. And the head of them. And so in this day and age, we'd call him a hypocrite and we would just disbar him from the church. How dare you practice those things? And he was the head of them. Anyway, that's just an interesting point. But um, they were he, they couldn't, King Nebuchadnezzar wanted them to tell them, tell him his dream and then interpret it. 
And all of his astrologers and all of his magicians said, you asked something that's impossible. And Daniel said, give me, give me some time and we'll make this happen. And in verse 17, it says, Daniel went home and told his friends, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, what had happened. And he urged them to ask God of heaven to show them his mercy by telling them the secret so they would not be executed along with the other wise men of Babylon. That night, the secret was revealed to Daniel in a vision, and then Daniel praised the God of heaven. Of course he did. God revealed and saved his life, but he said, praise the name of God forever and ever, for he has all wisdom and power. And then God, through Daniel's praise, goes to reveal something about himself to us here. He controls the course of world events. He removes kings and sets up other kings. He gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to the scholars. He reveals deep and mysterious things and knows what lies hidden in darkness. Though he is surrounded by light, I thank and praise you, God of my ancestors, for you have given me wisdom and strength. You have told me what we asked of you and revealed to us what the king demanded. Verse 21, though, he controls the course of world events. He removes kings and sets up other kings. But what precipitated this praise from Daniel? Daniel prayed and God answered. Daniel prayed about something involving a king, involving a a ruler, and God responded to his prayer. He answered in response to his prayer. God is so, so faithful, but he was so sure that God sets up kings, he removes kings, he sets them up. And do you know what? In the book of Daniel, I think it talks about what? Three, Nebuchadnezzar, Darius, and Cyrus. Are those the three? And then the one son with the writing on the wall, so maybe four. But there were nine kings in Daniel's lifetime that served there. Daniel served nine kings. Only four of them made it into the Bible because only four of them had anything to do with redemption or with God's purpose and God's story. But kings came, And kings went, and Daniel stayed steady. He wasn't afraid of the kings that came and the kings that went because he knew that God removes them. He sets up who he wants to. He removes who he wants to. So we want to keep that in mind as we move on. And sometimes we don't pray for our leaders. We don't pray for those in authority because we just really feel like we don't know how. How do I do that? And the first thing we want to remember is what we said Don't pray until there's confidence. So we don't want to pray in fear. And fear seems to be the prevalent attitude when it comes to to the government in this nation right now, to the elections, to anything that has anything to do with the government. I mean, oh, we could go on and on. But sometimes watching the news makes you just want to curl up in a fetal position on your bed and just rock back and forth for a few days and go, there is no hope. And it seems to me that the prevailing attitude is that there is no power in prayer. The prevailing attitude is we need to do something. We need to make something happen. We need to fix this. We need a man to fix this. I'm just going to tell you it's gone so far beyond what a man can do. And I even posted something on Facebook today, just a picture in the Statue of Liberty with the verse from Second Chronicles. If my people, which are called by my name, will humble themselves and pray, turn from their wicked ways and seek my face, I will hear from heaven. He said, I will heal their land. 
So I put that on Facebook. I'm like, come tonight. We're going to pray for our nation, and we are going to pray together for our nation. And a friend of mine from high school sent me a private message. And um, she's not a Christian, doesn't go to a church that believes in the power of prayer. And she goes, well, if you really want to heal the division in this land, what you'll do is you'll reach out to those um, ethnic pastors and just try to heal those bonds and make something happen this way. Reach out to them. Do some joint things together and show that there's some kind of unity this way. Because that's the typical response of man. I've got to fix this. But that's not what the Bible says, is it? The Bible didn't say, if my people, which are called by my name, would have some joint services with one another and show some unity then I will heal the division among them. Is that what the Bible said? No. But we've discounted and put prayer so far off to the side here, I think because we're so moved by what we see. We haven't seen any change affected. But that didn't matter to Peter, and that didn't matter to Paul. Nero executed them. But until the day that they died, they first of all prayed. And they exhorted everyone else to pray because they know that God can answer prayer. And guess who was not in power forever? Because God raises them up and God tears them down. And so we want to not get into fear. We need to always keep into our perspective that the mountain maker is bigger than the mountain. And if you're praying from the position, and I'm getting a little ahead of ourselves because we're going to talk about this tomorrow, but if we're praying from that position of fear where the mountain looks so much bigger than the mountain maker, we're praying too soon, and we're praying from a too low of a position. We're just saying, God, we don't think you're big enough to fix this. And how disrespectful to the creator of all things is that? And so we don't want to come to him in fear to pray for something. If we're in that place of fear, where we need to go back to is abiding. We need to go back to that quiet, hidden place until God is bigger to us than anything that we can see. And guess who really is bigger than the national debt? Do you really think he is? (laughs) Do we really think that God is bigger than the issues and the problems in this nation. Now, how many of you pray like you think God is bigger? Not all. We see a lot, and we were talking about this today, we see a lot of people change their Facebook profile, and they have the blue line going across it, and it says pray for Texas, or pray for, I mean, you could change it about three times a day with all the different things that are popping up. Guess what? The enemy knows his time is short. And he is making hay while the sun shines. But he can only reign when the church does not. That's why we're here. We're going to take our authority and start using it again. But we don't, are we really praying? Are we really praying? If you look at your day and ask yourself, how much time I spent praying for the kings, did I spend any time praying for my president today? My mayor? Anybody that's in authority? in any nation of this world? 
if we really believe that God can affect change in this nation through prayer, then our actions are going to show that. And I'm not trying to bring condemnation, nothing like that. What we're trying to do is bring us up to a place where, and he even said, when I come, will I find faith in this earth? Faith does something. When I come, am I going to find my people humbling themselves and praying and seeking my face and praying for their leaders? And first of all, praying, am I going to find this on the earth? And I'm telling you, he's going to find it here. We're going to do it here, not just in this sanctuary, but through this church. This is a building. This is not the church. We are the church. And every time we leave this building, the church leaves this building, and so does our prayer. It's good to come together and pray. It's good to pray separately. It's good to just continually release power in prayer. And I mentioned it last night. Smith Wigglesworth said, I never spend more than 10 minutes in prayer, but I never go more than 10 minutes without praying. It's not just having to be some, I have to be all by myself with the windows and the doors closed on my knees for three hours just interceding. You can intercede at the kitchen sink with as much authority as you use in your closet. We're going to break off some things tonight, some mindsets tonight. Let's go to Matthew chapter 16. It's very, very important to keep this in mind when we're praying in these end times for our kings, for our leaders, especially when we're praying for these elections that are coming up. Matthew 16, verse 13. It says, When Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, Who do people say that the Son of Man is? Well, they replied, Some say John the Baptist, some say Elijah, and others say Jeremiah or one of the other prophets. Then he asked them, Who do you say that I am? And Simon Peter answered, go ahead and say it. Yeah, and Jesus said, flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, Simon, but my Father in heaven has revealed it to you. Now I say to you that you are Peter, which means rock, and upon this rock I will build my church, and all the powers of hell will not conquer it. Let's say that. All the powers of hell will not conquer it. Amen. Jesus said it. He had 100% accuracy in everything that he said. He's a wise builder. He counted the cost before he even started this thing. And there's enough power left over to get us to the eastern sky splitting with Jesus coming back. The gates of hell cannot conquer the church. Amen. And I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Saying this to Peter and to his disciples. Whatever you forbid on earth will be forbidden in heaven. And whatever you permit on earth will be permitted in heaven. Then he sternly warned the disciples not to tell anyone that he was the Messiah. So God gave this major revelation to Peter. From then on, Jesus began to tell his disciples plainly. After they had that revelation of who he was, he could go deeper into revealing who he was. And the more we abide in him and the deeper we go in him, the more revelation of him we get, the bigger he looks in our eyes, the more intimate we walk with him, the more bold our prayers are going to get, 
But he began to tell his disciples plainly that it was necessary for him to go to Jerusalem and that he would suffer many terrible things at the hands of the elders, the leading priests, and the teachers of religious law. He would be raised on the third day. He would, or he would be killed, but on the third day he would be raised from the dead. Okay, so that's not good news. It's not happy news. Verse 22, I love this. God, everyone say, God bless Peter. <laughs> but Peter took him aside and began to re reprimand him for saying such things. Heaven forbid, Lord, he said, this will never happen to you. So let's stop here for just a second. Jesus had just told them, however many days before, Jesus had just said, whatever you forbid in heaven, heaven will forbid. And so Peter hears some news that he doesn't like, right? And what does he do? Now, he doesn't reprimand, which means correct. He corrected the Son of God. <laughs> now, Jesus, let me pull you aside because we don't do this publicly. We don't ever correct anyone publicly. That's just not good manners. So he pulled him aside privately and said, this will never happen to you. Heaven forbid. We are not having this in Jesus' name. We come against this, and no weapon formed against you can prosper. Peter had never known anything for Jesus but success. He'd never known anything through Jesus but victory. He had never seen him even talk about defeat. And this sounded an awful lot like defeat. And his heart was broken at the thought of his best friend being killed at the hands of the elders and the leaders. Peter was one of the three. He was one of Jesus' BFFs. He was in that inner circle of Peter, James, and John. When anything major happened with Jesus, they were there. And for his best friend to tell him, I'm going to die, oh, devastated Peter. So he took him aside and corrected the Son of God. And Jesus turned to Peter and said, oh, thank you. Thank you for setting me straight. Yes, you're right. I need to talk victory because I will have whatsoever I say. Is that what Jesus said? No. <laughs> Not even close. Jesus said, get thee behind me, Satan. You are a dangerous trap to me. You are seeing things merely from a human point of view and not from God's. You are seeing things merely from a human point of view and not from God's. Peter was through his own discomfort and grief correcting that Jesus wasn't standing in victory, we come against this. You said whatever I forbid, heaven will forbid. Heaven forbid this. All Peter was doing was practicing what Jesus just told him he had authority to do. And Jesus came and said, get thee behind me, Satan. You're not seeing this from God's point of view. You're seeing this merely from man's point of view. So if the disciples and Peter had been praying at that moment, they would have been praying against the will 
of God, something that looked horrible to them. The cross looked horrible to them. It didn't look like good news. They expected Jesus to come set up a natural kingdom. They expected him to come set up his natural kingdom and free them from the tyranny of Rome. And how in the world can he possibly do that if he's dead? It went completely against everything that the disciples had expected Messiah to do. Peter was praying and believing and rebuking and standing for his own comfort. Praying and standing completely against God's will. The cross, what Peter was saying was, heaven forbid, don't let the salvation of mankind happen. Mm. Now later, he would never have said that. Hindsight is twenty twenty. We know that the cross, even though it looked horrible from the natural's point of view, was God's perfect plan. In fact, in Isaiah, it said, it pleased the Lord to crush him. It pleased God to send him to that torturous cross. It pleased him for those stripes to be put on his back for those nails to be put in his hand and those nails to be put in his feet the crown of thorns to be put on his head was pleasing to God because it gave him us but it didn't look good to the disciples so I ask you when you pray for your leaders and for your government and for your nation Are you praying God's plan or are you praying your comfort? God's plan does not always look like our plan. In Luke 2, let's go over to Luke 2 real quick. We're going to look at some instances of where God's plan might look different than our plan. Luke 2 verse 1. And of course, this is about the birth of Jesus. It said, at that time, the Roman emperor, Augustus, decreed that a census should be taken throughout the Roman Empire. And so we have a Roman emperor, everyone say a heathen king. We have a Roman emperor decreeing a census be taken. And you know what the census was for? So that they they could be sure that everybody was being taxed the appropriate amount. So Roman emperor decrees a tax. Who enjoys paying taxes in here? Go ahead and raise your hand. Raise it real high. Let me see. Who complains about paying taxes in here? Go ahead. Raise your hand real high so we can see. So Mary and Joseph were from Nazareth. And guess what? When God called them to do what he called them to do, he knew that they were from Nazareth. That was not a big surprise to him. And God also knew that it was prophesied that Messiah would be born in Bethlehem. Also not a surprise to God. So he had to reconcile from Nazareth to Bethlehem. And guess what he used? He used a heathen king to degree a tax to get Joseph and Mary to Bethlehem. 
He used a heathen king to decree something negative that nobody likes. He used something that nobody likes to fulfill prophecy. Hello? I don't think Joseph and Mary appreciated (laughs) the tax or the senses or having to travel when she was ready to give birth. But God used it to fulfill his word. Hmm? Just something to think about. Let's go to Jeremiah 29. Jeremiah 29. We all love this little verse that's in here. I'm going to start in verse 10. We all can probably quote it. But we're going to start in verse 10. And it says, This is what the Lord says. You will be in Babylon for 70 years. But then I will come and do for you all the good things I have promised, and I will bring you home again. For I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord. They are plans for good and not for disaster, to give you a future and a hope. I just love God. Even in his correction, even when he was ready to bring destruction on the land because they forsook him and walked away from the covenant. And he's saying, yep, you're going into captivity. This is a consequence of what you did. But let me give you some hope. Let me give you some hope along with that. It's only going to last 70 years because you know what? I know the plans I have for you. There are plans for good and not for disaster. This is just temporary situation to give you a future and a hope. In those days when you pray, I will listen. If you look for me wholeheartedly, you will find me. I will be found by you, says the Lord. I will end your captivity and restore your fortunes. I will gather you out of the nations where I sent you and will bring you home again to your land. That's a good promise, isn't it? All right, let's zip over to Daniel chapter 9. I know we're hop, skipping, and jumping through the word tonight. Isn't it good to love the word? You don't want to skip over the prophets because you miss a whole lot when you skip over the prophets. But in Daniel chapter 9, verse 1, it says, It was the first year of the reign of Darius the Mede, the son of Ahasuerus, who became king of the Babylonians. Verse 2, During the first year of his reign, I, Daniel, learned from reading the word of the Lord as revealed to Jeremiah the prophet. So what we just read is what Daniel read. That Jerusalem must lie desolate for 70 years. So I turned to the Lord God and pleaded with him in prayer and fasting. I also wore rough burlap and sprinkled myself with ashes. And then the rest of the chapter goes on to say what he prayed to God. But he found in the word that the captivity was only supposed to last 70 years. They were bumping up on 70 years. So he didn't just go, oh, God said it. So I guess it's just going to happen. I'm just going to wait. No, he set his face to pray and to seek God's face and to say, Lord, you said this. I'm ready to see it. You said it was only going to last 70 years. It's time to release us now. Let this happen. Okay, so we're going to skip over to Isaiah chapter 44. We'll get to who this is about in a second. Most of you probably already know it. And this is before the release, before Daniel prayed. Isaiah 44, verse 24, it says, This is what the Lord says, the Redeemer and Creator. I am the Lord who made all things. I alone stretched out the heavens. Who was with me when I made the earth? 
I expose the false prophets as liars and make fools of fortune tellers. I cause the wise to give bad advice, thus proving them to be fools. I carry out the predictions of my prophets. To, by them I say to Jerusalem, people will live here again. And to the towns of Judah, you will be rebuilt. I will restore all your ruins. When I speak to the rivers and say, dry up, they will be dry when I say of Cyrus, he is my shepherd, he will certainly do as I say. He will command, rebuild Jerusalem. He will say, restore the temple. Chapter 45, this is what the Lord says to Cyrus, his anointed one, whose right hand he will empower. Before him, mighty kings will be paralyzed with fear. Their fortress gates will be opened never to shut again. This is what the Lord says. I will go before you, Cyrus, and level the mountains. I will smash down gates of bronze and cut through bars of iron, and I will give you treasures hidden in the darkness, secret riches to Cyrus, a heathen king. I will do this so you may know that I am the Lord, the God of Israel, the one who calls you by name. And why have I called you, Cyrus, for this work? Why did I call you by name when you did not know me? Is it for the sake, it is for the sake of my, of Jacob, my servant, Israel, my chosen one. I am the Lord. There is no other God. I have equipped you for battle, though you don't even know me. So all the world from east to west will know there is no other God. I am the Lord and there is no other. I create light and make the darkness. I send good times and bad times. I, the Lord, am the one who does these things. And verse 13 says, I will raise up Cyrus to fulfill my righteous purpose and I will guide his actions. He will restore my city, free my captive people without seeking a reward. I, the Lord of heaven's armies, have spoken. Okay, the last little place that we're going to turn is Ezra chapter 1. Ezra chapter 1 verse 1 says, in the first year of King Cyrus of Persia, the Lord fulfilled the prophecy he had given through Jeremiah. He stirred the heart of Cyrus to put this proclamation in writing and to send it throughout his kingdom. This is what Cyrus, king of Persia, says, the Lord, the God of heaven, has given me all the kingdoms of the earth. He has appointed me to build him a temple at Jerusalem, which is in Judah. Any of you who are his people may go to Jerusalem and Judah to rebuild this temple of the Lord, the God of Israel who lives in Jerusalem. And may your God be with you. Wherever this Jewish remnant is found, let their neighbors contribute toward their expenses by giving them silver and gold. Their neighbors, they're in captivity. Their neighbors are heathens. So God used the heathens to pay for his temple. Don't you love it? 
Wherever the Jewish remnant is found, let their neighbors contribute toward their expenses by giving them silver and gold, supplies for the journey and livestock, as well as a voluntary offering for the temple of God in Jerusalem. Then God stirred the hearts of the priests and Levites and the leaders of the tribes of Judah and Benjamin to go to Jerusalem to rebuild the temple of the Lord. And all their neighbors assisted by giving them articles of silver and gold, supplies for the journey and livestock. They gave them many valuable gifts in addition to all the voluntary offerings. And King Cyrus himself brought out the articles that King Nebuchadnezzar had taken from the Lord's temple in Jerusalem and had placed in the temple of his own gods. Everyone say Cyrus was a heathen king. Cyrus was a heathen king. And yet God called him my anointed. And how did this all come to pass? Because Daniel saw it written in the word that the captivity was only going to last 70 years and he set his face to pray. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves, humble themselves, I have no solution. (laughs) Man cannot fix this, and so we humble ourselves to the one who can. Because human response is to just make it happen and work it and work it. You know, we're not the only religion that prays. There's other religions that have prayer tools. They even have these little, like, prayer wheels where you put beads in there to represent your prayers and you turn it, turn it, turn it and then every time it turns it's like you're praying because you got to be doing something. i got to feel like I'm doing something and prayer just doesn't seem like something. But prayer is more powerful because we pray to one who answers because we serve a living God and he said it over and over and over in Isaiah and if you read Isaiah from chapter 40 all the way through I think it's 56 or something There's such a revelation of God saying who he is. I am the only God. I answer. I am alive. There's no other God beside me. I will work and no one can stop it. Cyrus is my anointed. And then in Ezra we saw God stirred the heart of a heathen king to build his temple Not his city, not the wall around the temple, not some unholy thing that the presence of God wasn't going to reside in. The temple, where the glory and the presence of God dwells. But our minds would think, surely, if God was going to use somebody to do something for his name, it's got to be a Christian. It's got to be an Israelite. It's got to be somebody that knows him. But God on purpose picked someone that didn't even know who he was so that he would get all the glory. God can use whoever God wants to use. He sets them up, he tears them down. Right? So who are we praying for? Where are we sending the rain? We pray for it here. Are we sending it to our leaders, to our governments, to our authorities? 
Or are we in our box that God can only use someone who calls themselves a Christian? These are the things we need to get his perspective on. Are we seeing it merely from a human point of view? Or are we seeing it from God's point of view? And when I was reading about Cyrus, you know who came to my mind? was Mel Gibson. The most unlikely candidate to preach the gospel to millions of people. But he was burdened to make the passion of the Christ. Burdened. He couldn't get away from it. And everyone in Hollywood called him insane for doing it. Not even, I mean, he's a Catholic, but not what we, who we would expect the anointing of God to rest on, right? Would you ever put Mel Gibson and God's anointed in the same sentence? No. No. I wouldn't either. But somebody was praying for the rain on Hollywood, and God used Somebody in that realm, we could have never made that movie and had it reach millions of people because we're not known in Hollywood, are we? But because someone was praying for the rain and somebody was praying for God to pour out his spirit, all of a sudden Mel Gibson had a burden and a passion. And if I'm not wrong, he put his own money into that. Had to do it, compelled to do it, and preach the gospel to millions of people. Who can God use? Where are we asking Him to send the rain? He used Herod and Pilate. Herod was wicked. Herod had John the Baptist beheaded because his wife's daughter wanted it. Because she danced pretty. And he said, you can ask for whatever you want. And so he didn't even think twice about it. I think, and he beheaded John the Baptist, a wicked man. But can I just say that if there had been a good man leading at that time, would they have ever made the decision to crucify the Lord? God needed a wicked ruler in place to make that happen. And it wasn't long after Jesus was crucified that Herod was gone. Are we seeing things from merely a human point of view or are we seeing them from God's point of view? Are we praying only for our comfort and not for the will and the plan of God? Sometimes the will and the plan of God is for us to be comfortable. He's not opposed to comfort. (laughs) Let me just put that out there. He's not opposed to it, but sometimes his plan doesn't look very comfortable. Look at Joseph. I don't think he enjoyed the pit or slavery or prison. In fact, he begged to be released from prison and then was left there for two years, hidden, forgotten, in prison. Yet if he had gotten out when he had wanted to get out, he would have hightailed it out of Egypt, gone back home to his daddy, and would have missed the whole plan of God. 
food for thought. Who has God used? I remember when I first got saved, well, gave my life back to God when I was 19. And it was right around the time of, remember, Russia was still the USSR. And you couldn't even go to, Brother Hagen began every class, ended every class, every prayer school, every meeting with, we're going to pray for the rain on the USSR. And back in the day, remember RMA? Was RMA still the deal or was the church open when you guys, the big church open when you guys got there? RMA was like a room like this, a little bit bigger, but they had maps on the wall of all the different continents. And everybody would go under the continent of the USSR. Send the rain, send the rain on the USSR. Father, send the rain and open the doors in the USSR. Send the rain in the USSR. Lord, send the rain and open that door. Years of praying for the USSR and that communism to fall and for it to open to the gospel. It wasn't just about praying for leaders that are all over in authority so they could live a nice life. Although they needed a better life. Communism, socialism, they needed a better life. But more than that, they needed the gospel. And the gospel couldn't get in except for during covert operations. Remember, was it John Caseman who... Caseman, AFCM, Jim Caseman, sneak in. Wouldn't they take the Bible like one page at a time and they just snuck it in there and they had their covert operations to get the gospel in? But that's not the best way to do it. So it's send the rain, send the rain on the USSR. And who did God raise up to do it? The most unlikely candidate for president at the time was an actor, Ronald Reagan. An actor. I don't think anybody expected that man <laughs> to orchestrate the tearing down of the Berlin Wall and the release of communism in Russia, but he did it. It was like they, he and Margaret Thatcher, who didn't like anybody, kind of just clicked. And Mikhail Gorbachev came along. Remember the thing on the head? Is he the Antichrist? Is he not the Antichrist? <laughs> Remember the thing on the head? So we have three unlikely stooges just hooked together by God because somebody was praying for the rain on the USSR and without any bloodshed, communists fell, communism fell, the wall fell, and Russia opened to the gospel. And nobody expected him to use the gipper. <laughs> You know what I mean? But God thinks outside of the box. God is not stuck in our box. He really wants us to get out of our box. We're the only one in our box. He does not join us in our box ever. He just keeps saying, are you, are you going to see it from my point of view? Are you going to continue to just see it from a human point of view? Right? <clears throat> Proverbs 29.2 says, When the righteous are in power... When the righteous have authority, the people rejoice. But when the wicked bear rule, the people mourn. And we, and I'm sure they were talking about natural authority here. But who are the righteous? Who has God given authority to? And are you in power right now? 
Are you using your authority? Are we using our authority? Are we keeping it in the realm of reason? I'm just going to put my opinion on Facebook. And then I'm going to debate with everybody who comments. Man, sometimes I go on and just read the comments. <laughs> but we need to take it past that realm of reason because we will never figure out God. You want to boost your faith until you have confidence enough to pray some bold prayers about what's going on in our world today? Go back and read exactly what God did in all the miracles. With Gideon, with Gideon, 300 men to face a whole army, and they didn't even have weapons. They had lanterns and torches and trumpets. So here, take this lantern and stand in the woods in the dark and show the enemy just how few of you there are. And then blow your trumpets so you really have their attention and they can see just how few of you there are. <laughs> and then just break the lantern and say, the sword of the Lord and of Gideon. Who has that battle plan? I don't think they're using that in Iraq today. I just really don't think they are. But who got the victory? We limit him in our mind, right? We need to get outside of our box. In 2 Peter 2, Peter said, Fear God and honor the king. We already mentioned he was talking about Nero. Paul said we are to submit to our governing authorities. They weren't afraid of their leaders, and I don't think they were afraid to even pray or to worship because they knew when the righteous are in authority and they used their authority. And first of all, they prayed. We want the miracles of the book of Acts, don't we? How many of you want the miracles of the book of Acts? The power of God poured out. Acts chapter 4, they prayed that powerful prayer. And then the place where they met was shaken by the power of God. We want that power of God, don't we? Do you know what precipitated that power of God being poured out? They were arrested. Who wants that part? <clears throat> Anybody? Anybody want the arrested part? They needed that power of God and the boldness that came with it because they were commanded not to preach or teach in the name of Jesus anymore, and they were being persecuted and arrested for preaching the name of Jesus. How about Acts chapter 12? Let's go there. I love this one. Love this one. This is so cool. This is such a cool miracle. And God is still, say, God is still in the miracle-working business. God has not lost his power. Acts 12, about that time, King Herod Agrippa began to persecute some believers in the church. He had the apostle James, John's brother, killed with a sword. Who wants that one? When Herod saw how much this pleased the Jewish people, he also arrested Peter. This took place during the Passover celebration. Then he imprisoned him, placing him under the guard of four squads of soldiers each. 
Herod intended to bring Peter out for public trial after the Passover, but while Peter was in prison, the church prayed very earnestly for him. The night before Peter was to be placed on trial, he was asleep, fastened with two chains between two soldiers. Others stood guard at the prison gate. Suddenly there was a bright light in the cell, and an angel of the Lord stood before Peter. The angel struck him on the side to awaken him and said, quick, get up. The chains fell off his wrists. The angels told him, get dressed and put on your sandals, put on your coat and follow me. Peter left the cell following the angel. All the time he thought it was a vision. He didn't realize it was actually happening. They passed the first and the second guard posts and came to the iron gate leading to the city and this opened for them all by itself. So they passed through and started walking down the street and then the angel suddenly left him. And Peter came to his senses and said, it's really true. The Lord has sent his angel and saved me from Herod and from what the Jewish leaders had planned to do to me. Man, the power of God, an angel appeared to him, released him from his chains. They got to the gate. It opened all by itself. How big is God? He doesn't need keys to any gates. He can do whatever he wants, whenever he wants, wherever he wants. And because the church had taken their place of authority and prayed for Peter's release. We want the miracle, but who really wants to be on death row? Peter was on death row. Miracles really only happen in desperate situations. We want the power of God, but do we want it just to be entertained? Why do we want the power of God? getting dangerously close to being an entertainment-based church. Dangerously close. We want the power, but we don't want the death row. (laughs) A lot of the miracles in the book of Acts had to do with persecution-based things. Paul and Silas in prison. How cool that God shook the earth and their chains fell off. All the prison doors opened wide. Not so cool that they were whipped and thrown in the dungeon. (laughs) But when they were, there was a miracle. God is faithful. So when we're praying for the elections, if we cannot seem to get God's point of view, the best thing to do is 1 Corinthians 14.2. And it says, for one who speaks in an unknown tongue speaks not to men but to God, for no one understands or catches his meaning, because in the Holy Spirit he utters secret truths and hidden things not obvious to the understanding. So we're living in the end times. Jesus is coming soon. The enemy knows his time is short. We have an election coming up. And it seems like the whole church has just curled into the fetal position and started rocking themselves to sleep. We were talking about it last night. No one good to vote for. Who are you going to go vote for? I don't want to vote for this one. I don't want to vote for that one. We have two choices. And if you don't vote for one, you're voting for the other. If you don't vote for anyone, 
Not just that, but if we've come to this point, have we been praying for the elections? I have been for years. Sometimes I start praying for the next election right after the last one happened. Been praying for these elections for a couple years now. So do we trust that God's answering prayers? Or have we come to the place where we really don't believe in the power of prayer? If these are our choices, then one of these has to be the choice. But we need to keep some of these things in mind. God is not just in it for our comfort right now. He's setting things up for the end. He is setting things up for that sky to split and Jesus to put his foot down on the Mount of Olives and come back. And part of that might get a little uncomfortable to our flesh. It pleased the Lord to crush Jesus' flesh. Not fun necessarily to talk about. No one wants a wicked ruler. No one wants that. But at this point, we don't really have another choice. Neither one of them are anything but look like they're wicked. But who can God use? He's used different people down through time, down through the ages, even in recent past. I wasn't a fan of Bill Clinton's politics, but do you know that Bill Clinton voted yes to support Israel every single time? And the one who was a Christian, George Bush, and his dad voted no. And George Bush Jr., George W., was instrumental in taking away the Gaza Strip. Oh, but he was a Christian. And when the godly rule, mm, we want someone that's going to listen to the voice of God. And we've seen tonight that it doesn't necessarily have to be a Christian. God knows. So if you can't get into a place where you're praying for one or the other, pray in the Spirit. Father, who is your choice? And trust him to direct you when you get to the polls. But please don't not pray. Because when you don't pray, you're surrendering it over to the enemy by default. You're saying, I don't believe God's big enough. I'm going to keep my mouth closed. You have your own way in this earth. So if you can't pray any other way, pray in the Spirit. That's why we have that blessed prayer language. To pray out secret things, hidden mysteries not yet known to our understanding. We don't have to understand it to pray his will into this earth. And when it goes against everything in our understanding, say, Father, I trust you, and I'm going to yield myself to pray in the Spirit. I don't have to get it. Use me to pray your will out in this earth. I am not giving it over to the enemy by default. Do we trust him? Do we trust him with our lives? If it comes to the place where we have to trust him, we haven't had to in America. That hasn't hit our shore really, but it could. Do we trust him with our lives? And if we can't say yes to that, then we need to go back to abiding until we can say yes to that. But he is faithful. I love that Acts 12 too, 
because Peter and the disciples, it just reminded me of this. And I think we've talked about this before, but um, remember when they were on the boat and Jesus was sleeping on his little cushion in the boat in the storm and the boat was taking water and they were fearful for their lives. And these were seasoned fishermen, so if they were fearful for their lives in the middle of a storm, there was reason to be afraid. It looked bad. And here Jesus is asleep on the boat, on his cushion, and the disciples come and wake him up and say, don't you care that we're going to die? And he said, he rebuked the storm and it calmed down. And he said, don't you know me? Where was your faith? Because the disciples had walked with him long enough to know that he was a miracle worker. And so instead of waking him up with fear, the response could have been, hey, listen, look at all this cool stuff that Jesus has done. He has healed the sick. He's raised the dead. I wonder what miracle he's going to do for us now. Let's wake him up. Master, hey, listen, there's water coming on this boat. What are you going to do to save us this time? What cool miracle are you going to do? But there was no faith there. There was only fear. But skip ahead to Acts 12. And Peter learned a little something, something from abiding in Jesus because over in Acts 12, it said he was asleep on death row. The angel had to wake him up. He wasn't in fear anymore. He trusted God with his life. We need to get to that place. Will he find faith equal to what he wants to do in this earth right now in us? I'm going to say yes. Yes, he will. He's going to find a people here that know him, that are abiding in him, that aren't afraid to ask him bold prayers about this nation we haven't seen the early and the latter rain yet, so I really don't think he's done. We haven't seen the influx of souls into the kingdom that are going to come right before that last ushering in of souls, right before Jesus comes back. We haven't seen that yet. He's not done. And so the church isn't done. John 10.10 10. The enemy comes to steal, to kill, and destroy. Steal means steal, but kill means surrender. And he tries to stir it up in your mind to get you to surrender the authority and the power and the promises that God has given us so we yield it over to him by default. And I say, enough. Culture can only reign where the church does not. Our country has been divided before. Our country has been in strife and division before. I don't think I've ever seen the leader encouraging it before. But we've been here before. And guess what? When my people, who are called by my name, will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, I will hear from heaven and I will heal their land. Are we, the church, going to take our place? 
are we going to take our place and pray to send the rain, to send the rain on those government officials, to send the rain on those ones causing the strife and division? Sitting around together singing Kumbaya is not going to heal anything. He's the only one who can change the hearts of man. And that's where real change needs to happen. And that's what happens when we pray. He gets in and changes the heart. The police aren't going to be in danger when he gets a hold of the heart of the criminal. Look what happened to Nikki Cruz. Got a hold of the gang leader, and it changed so many. When God gets a hold of the heart, and that's what we want to pray. We want to pray for the rain. We want to pray for the rain on these elections. We want to pray for the rain on the government officials. We want to pray for the rain on our police officers. We want to pray for the rain on the criminals. We don't want to leave them out. Who's praying for ISIS? Anybody? Is anybody praying for ISIS? Saul would have been considered ISIS. And look what happened through one man that God got a hold of that was killing Christians. Affected all of us with the letters that he wrote and the revelation that God gave him. There's nobody too far gone. So we don't want to stop our prayers just at the ones that we think deserve it. We want to be led by him. ISIS needs it. If he can get a hold of a leader in ISIS... How many of you think, mm, I don't know about that? Then you need to abide a little bit longer until your faith in the mountain maker. He made the hearts of man. He knows how to get to each and every one of them. He needs us to release his power and his reign on them. Amen. Amen. <clears throat> Amen. That's all I have for teaching. Do you have any unction, anything you want to share, either of you? All right, we're going to pray. We're going to pray. We're going to pray together. We're going to pray in faith. Listen, if you can't pray in faith right now, you just kind of get into his presence and abide in him. If you can't ask a bold prayer, that's okay. Pray in the Spirit. How many of you do not have the baptism of the Holy Spirit with the evidence of speaking in tongues? Anybody want that gift? You don't? Bob and Miriam, would you mind praying with, praying with him? Do you, do you want that? Okay, I'm going to have them take you over in the corner over there. And... Um... <clears throat> it just adds a dimension to your prayer life that we don't want to do without. And so are you ready to pray? Um, some people aren't as comfortable with corporate prayer, and that might be you. So we're going to turn the music up maybe just a little bit. So you can spread out. There's space if you want to find a corner. If you want to go out in the hall, if you want to stay in here, if you want to go in the lobby, whatever you're comfortable with. But we're going to just press in and pray. We're going to pray in English. We're going to pray in the Spirit. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Father, we 
are so thankful for what you have shown us in the word about who you can use, about what you can do. And so first of all, we say, forgive us for thinking too small. Forgive us for limiting you in our thoughts and in our prayers. Father, we know that you can do all things, that you can minister to any man, and that you can use any one you choose. Hallelujah. You raise up kings. You tear them down. You orchestrate it all. It's like a big chessboard. Father, we know you're setting this up for the end. We know that Jesus is coming soon.